I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole? Hmm? I can see it in your eyes. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What truth? You say you that you are a slave, Neo. Trying to understand this! 20-year-olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters, which they should do more often. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. You have to let it all go, Neo. Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free your mind. It doesn't matter who we are. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. How do you define real? You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. After this, there is no turning back. Are we clear? Crystal. sitting here today in that post-vacation limbo you know what I'm talking about where you go on a vacation you have lots of fun and then you get home and you just kind of wish you were still on vacation wish you didn't have to come back to the real world to real life to your monotonous routine we talked about that a little bit last week I played that little audio clip from you about uh, taking taking your goals in and putting them into your present rather than just aiming for certain stuff in the future and having a bucket list, start crossing things off of that bucket list and, and do those things because we don't want to come back to that monotonous routine because that's not a life. You can't work your whole life for your future when your future is not guaranteed and you don't even know what your future is going to be like. You don't know what condition you're going to be in, if you're going to be able to travel when you're retired, or if you're even going to get to retire. We don't, the future is not guaranteed, so you have to uh, bring those future goals and plans into the present and make those things happen. So when you do that, uh, I was on vacation this last week. I, I went on a motorcycle trip with a bunch of my friends to uh, California. We rode from here in Las Vegas up to San Francisco, we went down the coast, down the California coast from San Francisco to LA area and then back over to Las Vegas. And that was, those are some of the most amazing views of the Pacific Ocean you could ever see, especially in Northern California. A lot of people here in Vegas talk a lot about Southern California. A lot of people that are in Vegas are from Southern California, so they think that that's California. And They've never seen the coast from Northern California. And in Northern California, you're on these uh, cliffs. You're, you're riding on a, a two-lane highway on the top of a cliff, and just over the edge is the ocean. And it's, you know, 300 feet below you or whatever. And you're going over these bridges, going through these mountain passes, and you look out to your right, and all you see is the Pacific Ocean, you know, 100 feet beneath you. And it's some of the most amazing views I've ever seen, and I was extremely impressed. It was a very fun trip. We were we did that for five days, 
and uh, uh, yeah, so now I'm back home and trying to get back into my routine of real life, and I'm also trying to figure out what I'm going to do next uh, as a as a vacation or as a as a getaway because you have to have those you have to have those things to to make life fun and live your life. Those those things are important. Always remember that. So, anyways, let's get started. Uh, last week we had, well, the last couple weeks I've had a number of audio issues. Uh, last week's episode was riddled with audio problems in the beginning, in the first 20, 25 minutes of that episode. And I did not get to re-record it because of the fact that I was leaving town and I, I just wanted to get something out. And I had actually published it before I listened to the whole episode to realize that the audio was as bad as it was. So I apologize for that yet again. Um, I'm hoping today's recording is much better. I'm doing a lot more proofing as I go through, as I record. I'm listening to segments that we're recording, and before I release it, I'm going to listen to the entire thing and make sure that the audio is good before I put it out. So uh, obviously this is a recording, so if, if you're listening to this, that means that the audio is fixed. And I don't know why. I don't know what the issues I was having were. I basically just restarted my computer and I reinstalled Audacity. That's what I record on. And I uh, made sure that I'm not running anything in the background. I don't know if, if I had other programs open that were consuming the processor that, I don't know, while I was trying to record, it just the recording was not laying down the track correctly. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the issues were. I wasn't really able to define anything. I, I asked Audacity for help. They were useless customer service. Uh, it's an open source software, so there really isn't a whole lot of customer service there. There's, like I said, it's just, it's an open source program. It's free open source, so there's very little customer service. So I, I, I couldn't find anything on the forums. Nobody else was having the same problems. Nobody could help me out with mine, so it is what it is. Hopefully, the problem is now resolved. So welcome to Third Degree Mind, and thank you for downloading this week's episode. Third Degree Mind, look us up on Facebook, Third Degree Mind. You can look us up on Apple iTunes, Apple iTunes Store, we're on there. And we're on Podbean, thirddegreemind.podbean.com. If you ever have any questions and need to reach out to me, the best ways to do that are email borderline750 at gmail.com or on Facebook, Third Degree Mind. Look us up on Facebook. Give us a like. You can send me a message right there through Facebook. That's one. That's uh, probably the easiest way to get in touch. So I want you to think for a moment. Have you ever looked up at the stars at night and realized how small we are in the grand scheme of the entire universe. Sometimes when, you, when you're sitting outside in your backyard or at a park or whatever and you look up at these stars, I think it's almost impossible to think about this kind of thing is, is how small we are. Those stars that you're looking at are hundreds or thousands of light years away. They're so far that it takes the speed of light, the speed of light, the fastest moving thing in our universe, it takes the speed of light thousands of years to reach our eyes. Even the closest star, the closest star to our planet is Proxima Centauri. It's four light years away. 
the closest star is still far enough that that light that we see from that star actually left the star in 2014. What were you doing in 2014? Where were you in your life? Think about that. Because that is when that light that we see today, that's when that light actually left that star and began traveling through the universe. Betelgeuse, one of my favorite stars in the night sky, it's a red star, and you can tell it's red because it's super bright. It's a red star, and it's one of the shoulders of the constellation Orion that we see here in the northern hemisphere, particularly in the wintertime. Betelgeuse is 642 light years away, meaning the light that we see from that star began its journey in the year 1376, before America was even discovered by Christopher Columbus. Isn't that incredible? That's just amazing to think about. That light that we see, Betelgeuse, that's what Betelgeuse looked like in the year 1376. A hundred years before Christopher Columbus even discovered America. Change gears slightly. How about when you walk around a crowded place like a concert venue or a festival, or an airport, any popular tourist attraction. Of course, I live in Las Vegas, so I often think of the Las Vegas Strip. You walk around, and you see hundreds of people walking down the street with you, and you realize how many people are in those places, and that each one of them has a complex life and experiences that form who they are. Their family, their friends, whatever problems they're going through, if they had a good day, a bad day. All these things, just like your own life, is complex. You experience different things that form who you are, and every day something happens to you. You have friends, you have family, you have arguments with people, all these things. All these other people have that same level of complexity. I've talked about this on the program before. It's this concept of sonder. Sonder, one of my favorite words. Sonder. It's when you realize that everyone walking around drifting through life has the same level of complexity as you do. And when you think about things like this, it often leads to uh, a sense of awe with how big our universe really is. It's even just how big our planet is or how big the city you live in. You could live in a tiny town of 15,000 people. That's still 15,000 people in that town. It's insane. It's insane to think about that idea of everybody having such a complex life. If you think about your own life and, and that level of complexity in, in it and, and how it makes up who you are, and then think about that fact that everybody else has that, that same thing. It's truly, truly incredible, I think. That sense of awe eventually results in feelings of insignificance. Feelings of... Do I matter? Do I matter? I wanted to talk about something that I thought of while I was on this trip. So I went through uh, San Francisco, and part of San Francisco uh, is the Golden Gate Bridge. And everywhere I go, one of the things I always think about, and and this is this is just a a result of uh, having borderline personality disorder, I, I believe, personally. Not that I am suicidal myself, but because I have been down that road, I've talked to a lot of people who have been down that road, 
one of the things that I always think of daily, not that I contemplate doing it myself, but that it always crosses my mind is uh, is death and, and specifically suicide. And so when you're in a place like the Golden Gate Bridge, you, you there's no way to not think about suicide. The Golden Gate Bridge is the second most popular place in the world for people uh, who commit suicide. And there's signs up and down this bridge every like whatever, every 90 feet or so, there's a sign on the pedestrian walkway that says, you know, if you're feeling suicidal, uh, you know, don't give up, there's hope, whatever. And then they have a call box uh, right there that you could just push a button and it's it's like an emergency call box that calls a suicide crisis center because suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge is such a major problem and they haven't done really anything to prevent suicides there. You know, there's been talk of of adding a safety net beneath the bridge or adding uh, higher railings or anything because it is it is surprisingly easy to jump off of this bridge. So rather than fix that problem, the state of California decided to just put these signs and, and resources up there. Uh, I guess they decided that it was too expensive to add that safety net uh, on beneath it or it was aesthetically unpleasing they decided that they didn't like the appearance of it uh, or the higher railings would take away from the appearance of the iconic image of the golden gate bridge so they didn't want to do any of those things so they've known that it's been such a problem because like, like i said it is it is the second most popular uh suicide place after uh after um let's see number one is some place in Mount Fuji, Mount Fuji, Japan. Just a little trivia for you. The number one most common place uh, for people to take their own life. So when people contemplate suicide, their feelings of insignificance and a low self-worth contribute to that idea, which goes back to what I was saying about looking up at the stars or this realization of Sonder when you realize how insignificant you are in the grand scheme of the universe or, or even our own planet. A new statistic says that each year, 10 million people in the U.S. seriously consider suicide. 10 million people are seriously considering suicide every year. That is a massive number compared to the 40,000 who actually do commit suicide. I'm not saying that 40,000 is a small number. Obviously, it's a terrible tragedy that 40,000 people each year in the U.S. Uh, take their own life. But compare 40,000 to the 10 million that say that they seriously contemplated it at one point or another. And that 10 million are the people who have seriously considered it. Maybe thought out a plan, thought out what they would do. Maybe they've written a note. Who knows? But these are, these are 10 million people who seriously considered it. That doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the number of people who consider it as an option for a brief period. They consider it as a possible way out. But then they get help or their situation improves. They move past the, that intense emotion of despair and feeling like suicide is an option. So we're talking about millions and millions of people that can consider suicide at one point or another in their lives. A lot of times, these people will ask themselves that same question that I mentioned earlier. Do I matter? Do I matter? 
will anyone even miss me when I'm gone? There's a famous quote that comes to mind from none other than Dr. Seuss. To the world, you may be just one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Think about that. If you've never heard that quote before, think about that. To the world, you may be just one person, but to one person, you may be the world. We might walk around these crowded places, these airports, Las Vegas Strip, concerts, wherever. We might walk around these crowded places and not really think much of the hundreds of people that we see. Because to us, they're just random people. They're insignificant to us. But significance, my friends, is relative. The most insignificant person to you is the world to somebody else. They are somebody's wife. They're somebody's husband, someone's son or daughter, someone's father or mother. Look at your own life for a moment and think about the people in it and how much they matter to you. All those people that mean the world to you probably don't mean much of anything to me. If one of those people was all of a sudden gone, you would miss them a lot. If you've experienced loss, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Grief is one of the most complex and powerful emotions that we as people experience. When we lose someone that's important to us, the grief that follows grips our souls. It doesn't just let go. It doesn't just go away overnight. You know this. You know this if you've lost someone. It doesn't just go away. That grief is intense. It's long-lasting, and it controls you. Grief leaves us feeling incomplete, like a hole in your chest threatening to swallow and consume you from the inside. That grief is powerful, ladies and gentlemen. And you know it if you've lost someone. But... Let's talk about that for a second. Why is that? Why is the grief so miserable? Why is grief one of those most powerful emotions that you can experience? I already told you that the significance is relative. Someone that is significant to you is not significant or does not matter to someone else. So that significance is relative. One person may mean the world to you, but someone else doesn't matter at all. People die every day, but we don't all experience intense, overpowering grief every time someone on the planet dies. Only those who knew the person, loved the person, feel that sense of grief. Grief stems from love and attachment and memories that are shared with another person. Grief may be one of the most powerful emotions because it stems from the loss of a loved one. Grief comes from love. It only comes after those powerful emotions of love and attachment to another person. If you were never attached to them, there would be no grief. So why is grief so powerful? Because love is so powerful. Grief only comes after that powerful emotion of love and attachment. When you lose a loved one, I'm not going to feel the same sense of grief as you will because you were the one who loved them. The fact that the person died 
is the same for you as it is for me. But the grief comes from your attachment to the person when they were alive. You were the one who loved them. You were the one impacted by them. You were the one attached to them, not me. So the question then that is often asked when we talk about grief and loss is how do we get over that loss? If you, my friend, have lived your life having never lost someone important to you, hats off to you because you are unique. The rest of us out here have all experienced some type of traumatic loss. This idea of loss and getting over loss It starts out in our uh, psychological development at a very young age. Young kids experience loss, and they handle it very differently than adults do. Children who are five or six years old and have pets, a goldfish, or maybe a grandparent, they they have to struggle with losing those things. And I'm sure if you think about your own life and you think about the first time you experienced loss, whether it be a pet that meant the world to you or a family member, when you're five or six years old, those things are the same. And you experience death for the first time and you, as a five-year-old or six-year-old, struggling with that emotion and that grief is incredibly challenging. Imagine a five-year-old that has to try and understand what that means. Grandpa's gone. He's not coming back. But we're supposed to go fishing next week. I'm supposed to sleep at Grandma and Grandpa's house. And Grandpa always makes me hot chocolate. Imagine a five-year-old trying to understand what that means, that that's not going to happen anymore. I lost one of my grandfathers at five years old. This was my first exposure to loss. This was my first experience with death. I was old enough to have an attachment to him, to love him, to know that I had fun at his house when I would go spend the night with him and grandma, when my parents would want to go do something else or have a date night and they would give us to the grandparents. Of course I was old enough to have an attachment to my grandpa. I still remember that day at his funeral in church when I was five years old with my family, watching my mom cry, not even contemplating her pain. This was her dad. She was raised by this man. She grew up around him. He influenced her in a very, very different and more powerful way than he influenced me as a five-year-old. This was her father. But me, the five-year-old child sitting there next to her, trying to understand what's happening, I am trying to understand that I just lost one of my favorite people in the world. But I still didn't know him like she did. But my pain and grief, my five-year-old pain and my five-year-old heartache was still very real. The difference between My pain and my mom's pain may have just been age and her understanding it more than me. 
I remember a couple weeks later when my grandma came over to our house uh, for dinner or, or whatever, and it was in the evening, and I, I remember going to bed, and I, I missed my grandpa, and this was maybe one of the first reality moments for me because, sure, I was at the funeral, and I, I saw him there, and I knew that he was gone and that he wasn't coming back, or I, I was told those things, but again, at, at five years old, that's a, a difficult thing to grasp and understand when it's all happening at once. So my first reality check kind of into this, the fact that he was not there anymore was when my grandma came over a couple weeks later. And of course she was there by herself and and grandpa wasn't there. And this was the first time, I guess, that life was starting to normalize and go back to our routine. You know, we have grandparents over for dinner, except now it's not grandparents, it's just grandma. And I remember going to bed and I remember this very vividly. I remember laying there in bed and, and thinking about that and, and and realizing that that grandpa was gone and he was not coming back. And I was upset and I was laying down in bed getting going going to sleep and grandma came in and and said, you know, good night, you know, she's going home and whatnot and and I remember telling her I, I miss grandpa. And, and of course, this is the woman that was, that was married to him for, I don't even know, 40 years, 50 years. I, I don't even know how long they were together for. But me, that five-year-old child, telling her, you know, I, I miss Grandpa. And she just hugged me and said, I know I do too. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget how I felt. And even just thinking about it now, especially since I have a, um, I have a two-year-old, and she's you know she's younger than what I was when this happened. But I live on the other side of the country from my parents, and when my parents come, you know my my two-year-old loves playing with them, and she gets attached to them over those couple days, and then they leave. And go home, and now I, I FaceTime with them once in a while. You know, once a week we try to FaceTime so they can see her and she can see them. And and she's old enough to realize that that's them. You know, when she sees them on the phone, she says, oh, that's Grandma and Grandpa. And then after the phone call, after we hang up with them, every time my little two-year-old looks at me and says, I, I really, really miss Grandma and Grandpa. And it makes me sad because... It's just pulling on those heartstrings, you know. It it makes you realize, you know, I miss them a lot. I miss my parents a lot, being that they're on the other side of the country. Even though we may have our dysfunctions or our difficulties here and there, and we've been through our our hard places, but I still obviously miss them. And and to have my two year old look at me and say, I I really really miss Grandma and Grandpa. It gives you a unique feeling one that I can't really put into words. And I can only imagine sitting here now, uh, you know, 20-some years later, I remember that night in my bed when my grandma gave me a hug when I said, I I really miss Grandpa. And I can only imagine what her hearing those words from a child, what those words did to her and, and how that made her feel.
it's it's an grief is an indescribable emotion even if it's not from death like i said my my two-year-old my parents are both still alive but my two-year-old experiences a sense of a sense of loss when she realizes that grandma and grandpa aren't here and she is without them and to her that's a similar emotion as as loss in death because in a two-year-old's mind it's the same thing really all it means is that grandma and grandpa aren't here now and i am without them and that's a troubling troubling emotion that that we as people learn at a very young age we learn that at a very young age just another story i i wanted to share on this also uh one of my one of my best friends i was growing up i we grew up together you know we we met in kindergarten five years old same same time same time as uh this other story uh loss of my grandpa and we grew up together you know we went through elementary school middle school together high school we went to different high schools but uh we we stayed friends and even to this day you know i'm almost 29 years old and and even to this day we're we're still very good friends but growing up in you know elementary school or whatever middle school we we would frequently go to each other's houses and you know uh, his parents would pick us both up from school or my parents would pick us up from school we go to my house or we go to his house and we'd, we'd spend the afternoon after school together and you know if it was a weeknight we'd do homework together or whatever my parents would help us with our homework or or his parents would help us with our homework and and over time we became like essentially like brothers we were attached to each other's family and we were, we were like i said we were great friends so i looked at his parents as like like parents of my own like and later on when his mom got sick it, it wasn't the same as if it was my own mom but i felt his pain because we were i grew up with this woman also again like i said not not in the sense that she was my mom but i was definitely attached to her and i interacted with her a lot i had memories with her and when she when she died i felt that same pain I felt like I was losing a, a family member. This this was a, a loss. This was a loss for, for me, of course, for my friend. But the crazy thing in that scenario was that um, I felt my friend's pain because that was the first time that I saw him in that type of pain for a high school student to, to lose his mother is has got to be traumatic and I just I didn't I can't even understand that because I still have both my parents that that grief and loss is just it's just an it's an indescribable 
emotion and it's like I said before it, it just it grips your soul and that brings me back to my original question how do we get over that how do we get past the death of a loved one of someone that impacted us so strongly someone that was so attached to us someone that we loved so much how do you get past that I wish there was an easy five-step process that I could give you. I wish I could tell you, okay, on day one, this is what you're going to do. On day two, this is what you're going to do. On day three, this is what you're going to do. And boom, by day four, you're over it. I wish it were that simple. But you know as well as I do, there is no easy answer to that question. There are five stages of grief that sociology and psychology experts have developed. And these five stages are pretty commonly known. These are the five stages of grief or loss. They're not, they're not different steps that you go through, but this is it's kind of more of a circular cycle because throughout the remainder of your life, you're going to feel that pain again. You're never going to truly get over a loss or be okay with the fact that this person is gone. So stage one is denial. Denial. When you first learn of a loss, it's normal and common to think, this is not happening. I'm not here right now. This didn't just happen. You would feel shocked maybe numb to the reality, maybe no reaction. It's a temporary way to deal with the rush of overwhelming emotion. When you first first learn that someone important to you is gone and has died, your, your brain goes into denial. It's like a light switch goes into denial you have a you you have a flood of overwhelming emotion that your brain and your mind can't cope with all at once so it's easier for your mind to go into this stage of denial and just uh, just go into a numbness and think this isn't happening right now I'm not dealing with this right now that's that first stage and everybody moves through these five stages at a different pace, depending on who you are, your own experiences, your own emotional stability, and of course the closeness of you to the person that is now gone. If this is your spouse, or if this is a friend, or if this is an acquaintance, you might go through these stages at, at completely different pace. You might stay in the denial phase for a period of time, or you might move through denial quickly and end up in stage two, which is anger. As reality begins to set in and you realize this person is gone and your mind starts to uh, realize that and you move out of denial, now you're faced with the pain of a loss. You might feel frustrated or helpless and then these feelings turn into anger. You might direct that anger toward other people. 
for example, if uh, if this loved one was was killed by a drunk driver, for example, or someone running a red light and caused an accident and killed your loved one, this is the phase where you will be angry at that other person. Or maybe that anger is directed towards a higher power. If you are religious, you know, you get angry with God. Why did this happen, you know? Or just angry with life in general. Angry with people you come into contact with. You just have an angry demeanor. Uh, sometimes that anger is directed towards the loved one who you lost. That's natural too. Be angry with uh, the one who died because they're the one who left you. Especially if it's a, a suicide, that's that's very common. Someone close to you commits suicide, and you're once you get past denial, your next reaction is now you're angry with this person. Why did you do this? Type of thing. Why did you leave me? Once you move through anger, the next phase, the next stage is bargaining. During this stage. Uh, you dwell on what you could have done to prevent the loss. Thinking about the killed by a drunk driver. Maybe they maybe they left your house uh, to go to to get home or go wherever, and you held them up for five minutes or something, and they were in a hurry to leave, and and you did something that caused them to wait five minutes, and then they left. So now you realize that those five minutes that you your actions actually uh, led to that accident or them at least them being in that position to where they were hit by that drunk driver. Maybe the person was coming to your house to spend time with you and they got in an accident on the way over. So now you now you're dwelling on what you could have done to prevent the loss. You know, if only X or what if Y. You might also try to strike a deal with a higher power. Again, if, if you're the religious type, uh, this might be a bargaining thing uh, with God. Once you move past bargaining, the fourth stage is depression. This is when sadness sets in. You begin to understand uh, the loss and its effects on your life. You realize that your life is now different without this person. You go through depression and uh, you might find yourself randomly crying. Uh, you might struggle with sleep. You might have a decreased appetite. You might feel overwhelmed or regretful. Or one of the worst feelings, I think, loneliness. This person that meant the world to you is gone, and now you're alone. And that intense sadness and depression sets in. The final stage of grief is acceptance. You accept the reality of, of the loss because it can't be changed. I don't want you to think that that fifth stage means you're over it or you've gotten past it or you're okay with it. You're never okay with it. 
you're never okay with the loss of a loved one. But acceptance means that you have accepted the reality that this person is now gone. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you will no longer be affected by that loss because you will find yourself back there. You'll find yourself with those depressed emotions or the anger. Like I said before, this is a cycle. It's not five steps that you just move through and then you're done. It's not a checklist. Okay, I'm done with anger. I'm not going to be angry anymore. This is a cycle. Essentially for the rest of your life. And you'll move through these with one loss that was important to you. You'll move through these five stages multiple times. You might go from denial to anger back to denial. You might go denial, anger, bargaining, then back to denial again. You might, you might skip the first three and make it to depression. And then as time goes on, then you'll go back and then you'll hit anger. This is, this is a cycle. It's, it's constantly fluid and you're not just going to move one, two, three, four, five, done. I'm over it. It doesn't work like that because for the rest of your life, you might find yourself angry at the world over this loss many, many different times. There might be something that triggers these emotions inside of yourself. If you have a family member that was killed by a drunk driver, there's a good chance that you'll go back to the anger phase every time you hear a story in the news of a drunk driver or someone else killed by a drunk driver. Or you might go back into that depression phase anytime that you do an activity that you used to do with this loved one. If you always used to take road trips with this loved one and now you're going to take a road trip by yourself, there's a good chance you're going to be in that depression phase. And that's okay. That's normal. Clinical data. This is a clear from a psychiatrist that I found online. Uh, find her name here so I can give credit or credit is due. Maria Lamia. She's a clinical psychologist. This is a, an article that I'm, I'm looking at. She says... Clinical data makes it clear that any significant loss later and repeatedly will bring up longing and sadness. Is it because these people have not achieved closure by traversing prescribed stages of mourning? Or because they have not worked through the loss? As some therapists claim, you have to work through the loss. No, it's because you never get over loss. You never get over it. Getting over loss or working through grief is a myth. And over time, you're going to have those memories of that person. And in order, in order to get over the grief, you have to go back to what I said initially 20 minutes ago, that the, the fact that you have grief is because you have love for that person, because you were attached to that person. That person who is now gone, contributed to who you are today. That person who's gone contributes to who you are today. So in order to get rid of grief or move past a death would require that that person not mean anything to you anymore. And that's not what you want. That's not what you want. That person is one of the most important people to you in the world. 
grief is a natural state that comes from the love that you had when the person was here. Human psychology is very fascinating in this topic because it's all about, the grief is all about the fact that it stems from that love and attachment. The only way to not ever feel grief and loss is to not ever get attached to another person. And that's, that's not a possibility. People in your life impact who you are. You don't want to remove those people. So when they're physically gone and you're left with that hole in your heart and that hole of depression in your soul, you want to find a way out of that hole, but the person is gone. So of course it's going to leave a hole. Of course it's going to leave a hole. I have a short audio clip that I want to play for you, uh, some, some advice from, uh, from none other than Dr. Phil. You may have different opinions on Dr. Phil or whatever, but I found this YouTube clip I was looking for. I was looking for a good, a good video of someone giving advice about grief and loss, and I figured out why not. I'll watch this one from Dr. Phil and see what he says, and Everyone has different opinions of him and his TV show and whatnot and whether or not he's a real doctor or whatever. I'm not even going to get into that. I don't even care about that. But this particular one, in this particular show, he he has a guest who, she's a mother of, I think it's two children, young children, and her husband was, was murdered, was shot by shot and killed by someone that they believed to have been a family friend. So very, very traumatic on this woman and her children. And she's crying on the show, and Dr. Phil talks to her about uh, her grieving process and, and what she should do and what she should not do. And the reason I'm sharing it with you is because I, I think it what he says is is absolutely correct. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't cite Dr. Phil in, in every topic that I want to talk about on this program. But this is one that I agree with what he says. And so I'm going to play that for you real quick. Both of my daughters and my son are having a very hard time with it. I don't know how to go on when the other half of me is already gone. <laughs> you know, we just... We're just at a standstill. We don't know what to do or how to live without him. He was our hero. The first thing I will tell you is not to isolate yourself at all because this is overwhelming. It's overwhelming for you. You have children to nurture and mentor when you yourself feel like you've had your heart ripped out. Exactly. And it's hard to give away what you don't have. Exactly. So you need to let people minister to you as well. You need to go to your church. You need to go to family members. You need to let your friends and neighbors. And, you know, we always wonder if someone's lost someone and you see them at the grocery store or whatever, do you bring it up or do you not? Because you, you never know. Because it's like if they seem like they're doing okay, People feel like, well, I don't want to bring them down by mentioning it. That's the wrong thing to do. And I hope if your friends and family are watching this, they don't need to wonder if it's gone away because it hasn't. If you, It'll never. So they need, to, they need to reach out to you, and you need to let them. Don't isolate. Don't tell, oh, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Don't do that. Nope. 
Because Say, we're we lost. Don't, we're okay, we're reeling. We don't know what to do. We so so well, take the help. If somebody wants to fix dinner for you, let them. If they want to watch the kids, let them. If they want to come over and just sit with you and cry with you, let them, let them, let them. Talk about this. Give it a voice and get it out. And occur, encourage your children to do so as well. Um, it's, it's really important that they not go back in their room and sit there and feel like, I don't want to make mommy cry. So I can't mention that I'm scared or afraid or confused. Let them know it's okay that we cry. We cry together. We cry as a family. Yeah, so and, and let them know that. It's okay, you know, come sit in mom's lap. We'll cry together. Don't make them feel guilty if they say or do something that, that upsets you. And don't you feel guilty about them seeing you cry. What you're doing is modeling for them when we lose things we love, when we lose people we love, we do hurt, we do cry. And they will also observe you survive. And so they learn it hurts and we cry, but we do get past it. We are resilient. We do, we do move on. Um, so I encourage you to reach out, not be isolated. Talk to your children a lot. And go on a mission. You will find strength and purpose. And that's why I say you need to talk about this. I think his advice to this woman is spot on. Making sure that you're not isolated. Making sure that you accept help. And I love that he brings the fact that she's a mother into his, uh, his advice for her. Because, like he says, you have, to, you have to nurture these kids and you have to model. Uh, you have to model a certain thing for them so that they know how to cope with this as best as they can and they don't feel guilty in their feelings. You never want someone to feel guilty in their emotions. Emotions are not logical. There's no wrong way to grieve, especially for children. I talked about that a little bit earlier. When when you're a young child going through loss, that, that's difficult. You can't make anyone, especially children, feel guilty for the way that they feel. So that that's super important. That's super spot on advice that, that he gives her about making sure your children know that it's okay to feel this way and you don't want them to go shut the door and be like, well, I'll just keep to myself because I don't want to make mommy upset. You don't want that. You want to, you have to stick together with each other as a family and you have to let them know that it's okay how they're feeling and their feelings of being scared or confused or lonely or sad or angry or what, whatever they're experiencing in any moment is not wrong. You, you don't want to ever invalidate someone's, someone's feelings. So that super, super spot on advice, super, super spot on. I want to close just by talking real briefly about the bigger picture in this whole grief and loss. And I, I, I opened with this idea that grief and loss when you feel hurt by a loss and you feel alone, that comes from the fact that this person meant something to you. That person, when they were here, meant something to you and they impacted you in some way, shape, or form. So what you need to do right now is you need to look at your own life and, and 
in past episodes, you know, I've talked about journaling and writing, therapeutic journaling, things like that. This is this is a, a good journaling prompt for you is to think about the people in your life right now that mean something to you. Think about the people that if you lost them, they would that would uh, uproot your world and that would rip your heart to pieces. And you need to think about those things because you need to tell those people what they mean to you now. Do a journaling prompt on the important people in your life, those that mean something to you, and write about what you would tell them what you would want to tell them, what you would want to share with them if you lost them. Imagine that that person was gone. What, what, What is there that you forgot to tell them while they were here? That's what you need to think about, and then that's what you obviously need to tell them. One, one form to do this as a, as, a, as a journaling prompt is to write these people a letter. Imagining that that person is no longer here, what would you want to tell them? And then you need to actually go and tell them because you don't know when they're not going to be here anymore. You need to appreciate those people now because the future is not guaranteed. You know that. You know that it's possible for someone important to be taken away at a moment's notice. And you need to live your life as though every moment is the last one every moment every time you see someone important to you that could be the last time that you see this person and if you live your life in that way you won't have anything to feel guilty about not telling them when they were here if you love someone tell them a couple weeks ago i played a, a little audio clip for you uh I'm going to play it again. It's I've played it before, like I said, but I am going to play it again because I think it touches, it hits the nail on the head with this, that you need to, you need to know who those important people are and you need to, you need to treat them as such. You need to treat them as the important people that they are. You need to have the appreciation for these people that impact who you are and form who you are and impact your life, those people that you love, because Remember that grief, when those people are gone, comes from the realization that those people were important to you. That's super, super important. So that's how we're going to close this week. I'm going to play this for you in a second. If you need anything ever, if you ever need anything at all, reach out borderline750 at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook, Third Degree Mind. Add us there. Subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, follow us on Podbean, Apple, iTunes, wherever. Stay in touch. If you're going through a loss, if you're going through anything at all that you need to talk to someone about, please, please, please reach out. Don't isolate yourself. Don't be don't be that person that isolates yourself and is alone with your own emotions. A therapist told me a long time ago that the prison of your mind is the hardest one to escape and yet it's the invisible one. The prison of your mind. Don't be alone with your thoughts. Don't be alone in your in that prison of your mind. When I first started learning about borderline personality disorder, that was one of the things that I always thought about is that my mind is a prison. 
the emotions that my mind generates, the thoughts that it generates, that is a prison. It's a prison that I'll never escape. It's important that you don't isolate yourself within that prison and lock everyone out. You can't do that. So if you ever need anything and you don't know who to talk to, reach out to me and I will talk to you. I hope that you get something out of this episode and please, please, please listen carefully to the words of this young man that I'm going to play for you right now because this, this is super important and this guy hits the nail on the head. September 30th, 2008, when the doctor came in and he just said that my mom had a cardiac arrest. They told me uh, that I had to make a decision. They said we can do A, we could try to revive her, but we'll probably break every bone in her body and she's feeling all the pain. Or B, you know, we'll just let life take its course and, you know, we'll let her pass in peace. So frantically, I had a minute to decide what I had to decide, either life or or this and um, you know I was told not to let the decision that I was gonna make at that moment haunt me for the rest of my life so I made the decision to let her go I remember I just laid at her side and I was just weeping like crazy I told her everything I was grateful for I told her thank you so much for how you raised me and the sad thing about it is that was the only time I did it I never did it before I never told my mom how much I loved her I never told her um, I never told her anything until that moment. Um, after that, I remember I kissed her and I said goodbye. I, uh, I went inside the waiting room. Um, I heard all these noises again, but no pitter-patter of the feet, no nothing, you know? And I remember I looked it up and I'm always like, is it over? And he said, yeah, it's over. To this day, she's always in the back of my mind every time I do my schoolwork, um, everything I do, because she just taught me how to love how to be kind, how to be real, how to be genuine towards people. Um, live every second as if you're your last and um, always help the poor. Live simply so other people can simply live. It's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that Third Degree Mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry. I am not a licensed therapist or physician, so if you feel that you need mental health treatment, please always seek that appropriate care in your area. If you're feeling actively suicidal, please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room. If you're in the U.S., you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And once again, they are available 24-7.